Person today, we'll call guest. I don't co-ho. I don't know. New person. We're gonna say for now. Alex, thanks for joining me. Ah, uh, it's a pleasure. So, re- regular readers, you might have seen Alex started contributing a little bit on the site. We figured, if nothing else, is a good opportunity for uh, for Alex to introduce himself and possibly for me to interrogate him a little bit, depending on that. <laughs> Uh, hey everybody, uh, I'm Alex Drain. I'm a native Michigander, it's also where I live at the moment. Um, grew up a Red Wings fan, still follow the team, but a convergence of factors led me to begin following the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, last season. Um, longtime NHL fan, so obviously familiar with the team from afar, but in terms of the daily ins and outs on a more recent basis, so Brings me, I think, a little bit fresher of a perspective. Uh, not quite a scalded dog uh, like a lot of the <laughs> people who follow and write about this team. So um, I think that's a little bit different about me. Um, in my day job, I cover University of Michigan Athletics back in Ann Arbor. So and if anyone ever has questions about Matty Veneers or Luke Hughes or Owen Power or Kent Johnson or any of those guys... Um, I can answer that too. Uh, any Big Ten prospects in general, so that sort of thing. But um, looking forward to uh, you know getting uh, more involved uh, here at the site, and you can follow me on Twitter at at AlexDrain underscore NHL. So in terms of the Red Wings comment, I just have to say straight up, Bob Rose, nineteen ninety three, eat shit. <laughs> That's all I have to say about the Red Wings as a franchise. I was born in 1999. So I... <laughs> you missed it, but that's okay. But you know that it happened, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> so I think we're a few years from a potential Red Wings Leafs playoffs matchup. It would be hella fun if it happened, just like the Sabres, which, to be honest, I never wish anything good on the Sabres. I truly don't. But I don't know if you caught any of the Jack Eichel return. <laughs> That place was bumping. That arena was like, there was a vibe in there for the first time. And I know Eichel's comments went viral on it, but I'll be honest. I, I tried tuning into that game on and off. I know the Leafs were playing and I rewatched the highlights. I was like, this rink sounds sick. There was an atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, the, the Eichel comments, look, I get it from his perspective. The fans weren't really there while he was there, but that's not because of the fans. Like, Buffalo fans' whole thing is that they're notoriously dedicated and notoriously loyal to these teams that never give them happiness. Um, so I felt it was kind of unfair for Michael, but no, I mean, those fans are awesome. Like, if, if they could ever get a team back in that building that's really good again, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, and one thing you should know, so we talk about, or you just mentioned not having the years and years of frustration of being a Leaf fan. 
But here's the reality. It does not matter what the standings are. It does not matter what the talent disparity is. The Leafs going into Buffalo is a nightmare at all times. I mean, they lost to them 5-1 a week ago or whatever, and people were upset. I was like, it wasn't even Buffalo, but I just shrugged. I was like, it's Buffalo. I don't know what to tell you. Like, they're, they're playing Buffalo coming up this weekend at the Heritage Classic. It's Buffalo. Like, it does not matter. I don't know what... There's no other... There's no analysis that needs to take place just that's Leafs and Sabres hockey that's all I can say about it yeah I mean uh hopefully down the line we'll get the Atlantic Division top three of Maple Leafs Sabres and Red Wings that'd be wild yeah and in the time being as you mentioned not again not having those years maybe and I don't know if it is maybe the fans level of we'll call it anxiousness or even potentially frustration with the team. I guess part of the thing I've had trouble reconciling is really where that level should be. So if we look about it, if we look at this objectively, they're fifth in points percentage, they're third in regulation wins, they're sixth in goal differential, the best power play in the league, it's borderline record breaking, they're fifth in PK, they're fourth in Corsi. Their third in scoring chance for percentage. And the talk around this team is like they're a dumpster. It like truly, like if you read some of the commentary, God forbid you go on Twitter during a game, and you it does not match with the bottom line of where they're at right now. From your fresher perspective, where do you kind of stand on it? Yeah, I mean, this is a a really good hockey team. The problem is there's a lot of really good hockey teams out there, many of them in the same division. Um, and I think the goaltending has really colored it because, like, let's be frank here. If the Maple Leafs had neutral goaltending the whole season, they're probably leading the Atlantic or at least, like, tied with Florida. If they had a really good goaltender on the team for the whole season, like, say, someone in Carolina, um, they might be leading the President's Trophy hunt. Um, but the goaltending thing has really colored that and it's dropped the fan perception down a little bit, but it's also just kind of the cruel nature of how sports work when you get to this level. Like I've likened this sort of season to, um, the 2013 Detroit Tigers that I followed in in my childhood, where it was sort of like, doesn't matter what happens. We're going to play 162 games and we're going to make the playoffs and then we'll find out what actually happens over one week in October and all the fun stuff that happened that year, Cabrera winning an MVP, Scherzer winning a Cy Young, none of it really mattered. It was, we're going to wait for one week in October. And that's kind of the unfortunate part of a season like this one, uh, especially in a league like the NHL where a lot of teams make the playoffs and the Leafs are going to make the playoffs. Like that's just locked in. And so it's kind of this long journey to then see for two weeks in, I guess, May this year, what happens. And because of how the past has, has turned out, the sense is that it's not going to go very well. But um, the past doesn't necessarily predict future performance. It Anything can, can kind of happen. But this is still a really good team, and I think that even if they're playing... I mean, to be clear, if they're playing Tampa or Florida with last night Peter Morazic in net, like, they're going to get run out of the building. That, that's obvious. But <laughs> assuming they don't have... Just 
closer to neutral goaltending. It's like a 50-50 series, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of interesting points there to pick apart. So, obviously, the goaltending speaks for itself. If This isn't even approaching league average goaltending. This is about as bad as it gets in the NHL. Some of those goals last night were particularly stunning. And there's really nothing else to say. Like I like it, it's a waste of our time to to analyze it. But I think there's two other things, and the the first one I've tried to remind people of all year. Their division is crazy. It is, and it's not an excuse. Like, you have to acknowledge the reality of the situation. If the Leafs were on track to play, I don't know, a team like the New York Rangers that has a sick goalie, but generally speaking, has been outplayed on the season and they just have a few players you have to kind of worry about. One being Chris Kreider, who's blacking out beyond belief this season, who is a nice player, but not this nice. Or, you know, and not to pick apart other teams, I think there's a bunch of teams in the Pacific. Basically, I think there's a bunch of teams in the Western Conference that if the Leafs were staring down a first round matchup with them, I'd I'd be like, all right, that's fine. They might trouble them, but they'll get through. But they're not. They're looking at most likely Florida or Tampa. Yeah, I think my argument on that point is what's the goal here? Is the goal to win a series or is the goal to win a Stanley Cup? Because if your goal is to win a Stanley Cup, does it really matter which round you play the really good team? Like, Name one team that has ever won a cup without playing at least two really good teams. So you're right, and I, I agree with you on this. And this was something that... I have been arguing with Alec on messages for a, like a week or two now, and he'll probably laugh when he hears this. But my big comment is I would get the house in order right now. I don't think their second line is scoring. I think their defense has a bunch of question marks. I think their team defense from the forwards down has a bunch of question marks. And Alec's argument has been they're so close to winning the division, you can't screw around with the lines right now and potentially bleed points because you could potentially finish first and play Washington instead of Tampa. And that's a huge difference. Whereas I've, I've kind of more slid to your side of this where I've been like, I really don't give a shit who they play. I think they should just get their house in order and they really shouldn't care where things get particularly interesting in this market is they just straight up can't afford to lose in the first round again. Like like people are getting fired. Like people are losing their jobs. And I know we said this last year. I just, I can't possibly imagine it happens again. I really can't. I can't see a world where they lose in the first round, even if it's to Tampa or Florida. And then one of those two teams goes on to win the cup. I don't like, I don't think people care. I think people are going to lose their absolute mind if they go six years in a row losing in round one. Probably the case, but I, my inclination in sports is to avoid the the narrative and to go with the, I don't know, more rational point, which is that the goal is to win a Stanley Cup and the goal is to, you're going to have to go through a bunch of really good teams. And to be fair here, there was a period a little bit ago where I thought Washington was kind of mediocre, but not, you know they got Anthony Mantha back from injury, Vanacek's playing a little bit better. TJ like, Oshie back, he missed a yeah. bunch of time. Obviously, they're not Tampa, but like that's a really good team too. And they I think good. that of all the fan bases, like after you just lost to Montreal, like why are we sitting here talking about who you want to play in the first round? That's the other part of it too, right? I mean, they had two layups, two, not just Montreal. They had Columbus the year before, and I'm sorry, I don't give a shit. Columbus was a layup, and they screwed both of those ones up. So I really don't have any sympathy on their opponent. The rest of this season for me, 
And one of the things I've tried to mention to people, and I've been floored, to be honest, at the level of pushback I've received at this, is I wouldn't lock in the top line the way that they have. I My goal wouldn't be, how do we have this really good top line and then backfill the rest of the lines beyond it? My goal would be, how do I have two really good top lines? And to I think that they're really hurting their chances by just saying, these three guys are together no matter what. I think we're not factoring in. I mean, Mitch Marner's on pace for a productive season the way that he has been the past number of years. That has not necessarily led to playoff success for him. And I know Matthew's having an incredible year. That's a little bit better than previous years. But he's been an, an insane goal scorer basically since he entered the league. It's not like these guys are doing anything that's insanely out of the ordinary for them. Going into the year, if I was like, Marner's going to play to like an 100-point pace and Matthew's probably going to push for 60 goals, would anyone have fought you on that? Would you have fought me on that? No. Although, I mean, Marner, you subtract those first seven games of the season, he's had, I think, 61 points in his last 42 games. Like, that is yeah, he, crazy good. Yeah, crazy, he, crazy he's good. on a crazy heater, like, but he's going to come down to earth, I think. I, I would be floored if it keeps up for the final 25 here or whatever it is. And, and like, not crazy come down to earth, but even if it's, like, 23 and 25, which is hilarious that we're talking about that. Like, I can't tell you how bad this team was for 10 years. So it's, like, come down to earth is, like, point per game instead of, like, 40, 60 and 40. But that's where yeah. we're at. I, I think with the top line, it's just really hard to not put them together when you can just rip teams apart with that top line. I mean, it is just, especially recently, obviously. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about a one-line team, how many other lines in the league would you pick to be your one line? It, I, you know, that's an interesting conversation that uh, I've been kind of mulling over, part mainly with myself. But it's like, I look at other teams and, and go... I mean, Boston with Bergeron and Marchand are controlling almost 70% of the shot share. Like, they're insane. With any winger, too. Yeah. They're the three combos, like one with Craig Smith, one with Pasternak, they're all ridiculous. It doesn't matter. So I'm not saying I would pick one over the other, but like I think if you went to Boston and said, would you take that line over your... I think they'd be like, no. I think if you looked at John Cooper and said, would you take the Leafs' top line over yours combining point and kucherov i think he'd be like no those guys are champions for me we won two cups with them and kucherov's murdered the playoffs two years in a row right i think if you went to colorado and asked and colorado hasn't won anything but i think that they would take mckinnon over anybody in the league still regardless of what matthews is doing i think landis cogs having a crazy season you know like i think you could look at a good handful of teams and they would be like we're comfortable with our line and we're happy to put them up against the Matthews line anybody where it gets crazy. And, and this is where I bring up the, the division that they're in and the path they'll have to take compared to if they were to play some of those other teams that are still good, but maybe not as good. There's like almost no margin for error. And I think that's where people freak out, right? They're like, they're looking for anything that's wrong one. So they don't get hurt again, which I get. And two, because like, they, they're just trying to fill in as, as much as they can to say, like, what could go wrong? And and you play a team like Tampa that can exploit that. Yeah, I think <clears throat> overall you're looking at a second line that just you got to get more from them. 
I, I think that's and the and the thing is that they were producing more at a different time in the season. It's not like they've been ice cold all year. Like remember the first month they were better than the Matthews Marner combo. Mm-hmm. Those guys got off to a slow stretch and I mean William Nylander really carried the team the first ten games. I mean, his goal in overtime against Chicago was a huge turning point in the season. So we've seen better play from these guys this year, but I don't really know what the why it's sort of fallen off. I mean, Nylander just hasn't looked as engaged. Um, Tavares, a little slow-looking, coming out of the COVID pause in particular. I am intrigued, I will say, about adding Robertson to that line. Some of the early analytic numbers are pretty decent from that trio. I'm intrigued to see that continue a little bit. I think the tough part is figuring out what the right combos are, right? I mean, the the lines we saw in practice, and I guess briefly in the game yesterday, before, as always, we just returned to the old, the old uh, combos by the end of the game. Whenever Sheldon Keefe tries something new, but I mean, wasn't it Nylander, Kerfoot, and Wayne Simmons was like one line, like yeah, instead of Kasha, which was stunning. Does anyone think that's going to work? Like <laughs> Wayne Simmons and, with Nylander? And that's my Kerfoot. issue with their line experiments because earlier they tried. And I, I've had this thing. I, I was on this boat heavily a few months ago before Muzzin got hurt, before the goaltending went to shit. I think that they knew they needed a forward. They started experimenting. But the previous time they did it, they put Nylander on the third line with David Camp as his center. And that made zero sense. Like, like those two were never going to work together. They weren't. They were just, that was that was dumb. That was genuinely... There's a difference between experimenting and then just doing something stupid that's not going to work. And that was the second one. You know, putting Simmons with... Like, if John Tavares can't keep up with those two, Wayne Simmons is going to? Like, it just... That makes no sense. Like, you're, you're not even in the ballpark of putting something together that's logical. And I know fans will try to make excuses of like a domino effect of lines and process of elimination and whatever. It it's nonsensical at that rate. They Kerfoot and Nylander are burners and that's fine. I think that's Tavares's biggest problem. My argument with Tavares and Nylander is I don't think that they've really ever been uh, super in sync I think whenever they've gone on heaters, I think they've just simply been two really good players that are on the same line. Like, no matter who you play Nylander with, like, he's going to eat at some point. Like, he's, like, he's not doing nothing for 82 games. He's going to he's gonna go hot at certain points in a course of a normal season, no matter what. Yeah, and your options are a little handcuffed because the success you found in playing David Camp with Engvall and Mikheyev, which, I mean, I'm I love on, that line, by the way. I'm on the train. Do not break those guys up because... That would be stupid. You need an effective checking line. And those guys, we're talking about guys that look in sync. I mean, that is a line that looks in sync. And they, especially Engvall and Mikheyev, the mix of, of length and, and speed there to challenge um, in the four-checking game. They take away space from the opponents. They they can pressure on the cycle, and really good defensively too, and creating a couple chances each game. Sometimes cashing one in, like you know, everybody in the hockey world is trying to recreate 
obviously the the Gord Gaudreau Coleman line, and you know it's going to be really hard for any team to find something like that again. But you that did set this idea that you need some sort of checking line out there to complement your two really good lines, and you know a good checking line is that sort of thing: fast, physical, aggressive, good defensively, not just like oh these three guys beat you up and then they can't really skate and they can't really do anything, right? And so that camp line looks so good and so to me you have to keep those guys together until something changes but when you say that it leaves you fewer options to rejigger your other uh lines and this sounds this might sound crazy to some so i love that line one of my friends calls that line the tree line just says they're trees they're all they're all huge they all just take up space like there's nowhere to go on them like that like they're just they're all fast they all have long reaches they're, they're good at like taking away passing lanes and just creating turnovers and not because they run anyone out of the building or even like really hit that much. They're just good at taking away time and space from you because they're all huge and can move. And I really like that line. And I would actually be more loath to break up that line than the top line, which I know is going to sound nuts to people. They're going to sit there and be like, well, the top line is one of the best lines in the league. And yes, they are. But I'm sorry. As good as Michael Bunting has looked, and I really like Michael Bunting. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. If you think Austin Matthews wouldn't be this sick otherwise, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Like, he, like he is that good. Like, that's just Bunting contributes. I'm not saying he doesn't contribute to that line. I'm just saying Austin Matthews is really good, regardless of who he plays with. We have seen that his entire career. So, what about the idea of just bumping Nylander up and dropping Marner down? I would almost be um, interested. The one that I've argued that I would try is I would put Nylander with Matthews and Marner, and then I would put Bunting with Tavares and Kasha. Yeah. Because because is that Matthews line still a 10 out of 10 with Nylander there? I would hope so. If Nylander went there and torpedoed that line, I think that would be a slight indictment on him. Yeah. That would be that, wild to me. If that happens, we found public enemy number one. Yeah. But I think Bunting and Kasha play the kind of game that we've traditionally seen brings the best out of John Tavares. They're grindy. They're clever and tight. They'll create offense below the top of the circles. They're not like super off the rush players. I think those are the kinds of players that we've seen mesh the best with Tavares over the years. Matt Molson, P.A. Parento, Brad Boys. Like those guys aren't burners. And my thing is if you can keep the top line a 10 out of 10, by also, by the way, combining your like top three skill players at this point, which is something I think they'll have to do with the playoffs at some point. It might not be for full games, but at some point they're going to have to play those guys together because they're going to be down. That you know something is going to be tight. Like, wouldn't you want to get that line some serious reps right now, and then at the same time see if you can get Tavares going with other players? Yeah, I dig that idea. I'm. You would think that Nylander bumping up would just be offensive overload on that line, and you would get crazy yeah. results. But everyone says Matthews is a Selkie candidate. If you're a Selkie candidate, and and Nylander going to your line drives it to shit defensively, then I don't know. Maybe you're not a Selkie candidate then. Well, and also Mitch Marner's a great defensive player yeah. too. So both of those guys should be able to cover up whatever Nylander's problems are. Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be worth a, a try. I mean, I think that has a lot better chance of working than William Nylander with Alex Kerfoot and insert yeah. <laughs> illogical player here. And and the, the thing is that what people need to keep, I think what people need to 
think about a little bit more is that bottom line in terms of, okay, the top line is running away with it. They're crushing it. They're easily scoring way more than they give up. The second line with Tavares and Nylander is not, and it hasn't for three years now. They're basically even. And that's not good enough because we just mentioned some of those other top lines. Even if Matthews and Marner slightly outscore them, they're not going to, like, I would be floored if they absolutely mopped up Braden Point, Victor Hedman, and Andre Vasilevsky. You know, like, they might outscore them a little bit in a playoff series, but you're not going to, like, look back on that series and be like, they crushed them for, like, 70 or 80% of the goals. And that, yeah. like, made up for the second line. Like, you need the second line to score. Yeah, well, I think that's definitely true. I will just kind of insert, because I do think this is something that I hear a little bit too much, is the idea of, like, oh, well, we need offense in case Matthews and Marner, like, just vanish again. And that reality is, like, one that if that happens, you're just done. Like, yeah, there's you, never, there's yeah. never been a team who won the Stanley <laughs> Cup who best in players like, were stars? just terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just doesn't happen. Our, so, our stars were shit, but we still won. Like That's not real. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But uh, you are right. Like You're going to play teams with other stars. If your first line and their first line lock horns and just kind of get tied up, then you need your second line to come through. And that's the difference, I think, looking at, like say, Carolina, for example, where they've got like yeah. four lines that are really all talented. And obviously, <laughs> Florida is just outrageous uh, between Barkov on one line, Huberto on one line, and then that, you know, crazy Marchment Reinhardt line on line three. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculous what's going on there. But yeah, you, you need more. And, and the fact is, like, John Tavares and William Nylander combined are making what? 16 17 million against the cap like uh like 18 but yeah you you gotta I have know. more out of them it's just a fact it's upsetting that we're here having this conversation but like you know the like i said like the reality is like we're sitting here being like it, like you can't just ask the top line to outscore everybody else's problems and then like bank on the power play as well at best because the the thing is if you get that second line going again and you still have a first line that's got an Aston Matthews that is scoring a ton, and then you've still got this third line that I really like, that's a forward group I'm like, ooh, you know, yeah. this is, yeah, I, I like this going into the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that they've identified that too, because we mentioned that Nylander went on, like, they've tried at times, including their last game, to split up Tavares and Nylander to try to, like, break them up or figure out different ways to get the second line going. Like, I don't think they're naive to this. I don't think they're stupid. I think they've been trying. And then I think what's happened is in that time where maybe they were, and I think that's also why Robertson came up. It's Robertson either came up for a showcase or to get the second line going and or both. Otherwise, it doesn't make much sense because he hasn't played that much. But all that says, I think that they know that. I don't think they're dumb. But then Muzzin got hurt. Then the goaltending went to shit, and now it's like, now what? Yeah, and at this point in time, they're still, what, uh, third in expected goals for per 60? So, and it just feels kind of hard to say, like, oh, we have to address the forwards when the goaltending is going on, where the defensemen are a little, little shaky, but we can talk about that more in depth, but... It does feel like bottom of the priorities, even though 
there is still the thought in the back of your head that's like, well, uh, what happened the last couple of playoffs? Like, well, we didn't score at all. And are we really not going to address that at the deadline? And that's, I think, the thought that has to be in the back of your head. The tough thing is, is as much as I sat there a few months ago and was like, I would be, I would be in for forward. The the tough thing is, and, and like, you know, obviously watching the defense struggle, like I'm not that stupid either. I see it. I see what the defense looks like. And part of me was like, ride it out, ride it out. It'll be okay. Goaltending, ride it out, ride it out. It'll be okay. And it's basic. it's at the point now where it's like too difficult to ignore. Like truly it's too difficult to ignore. But I don't know what you can do on goaltending. I Mark Andre Fleury is about what the only plausible option. So I think when you look at the goaltending, <laughs> one of the first pieces I wrote for the site was one about a week ago, written a few days before that, but about the idea of just writing out the goaltending. And I will add as a, uh, I guess, an addendum to that piece now, having seen more. I'm starting to be on the train that, like, you have to add a goaltender of some kind. Because, to me, (laughs) what we're seeing right now from the two goaltenders is a sort of problem that I'm not sure is going to be fixed this season. Like, sometimes, goaltending is notoriously fickle. I'm a full believer in goaltending is voodoo, all that stuff, that it's really hard to predict over a season who's going to be a good goaltender, let alone a seven-game sample or a 10-game sample, or a 15-game sample. And I think I've always argued that you should just bet on a goalie with a pretty good track record and hope that over a three-year period, based on the past three years, that it'll be about that. But within that are plenty of, of runs of hot streaks and cold streaks. And as I argued in the piece, Campbell and Mrazek have good track records. I mean, Jack Campbell up to this recent meltdown, and everyone's going to talk about going back to December, and like, yeah, he wasn't as sharp in December, but what he was from December to mid-January was just kind of coming back to Earth, versus what he's been since maybe early February, which is just full-on meltdown mode. I was just looking this up before the show, and his last five starts, he's negative two goals save above expected or worse in all five games, minus 13.14 goals save above expected in his last five starts. Like that's that's not a slumping goalie. No. That is full on meltdown. That, that's and, a crisis. And but like, know, do you think Campbell and Mrazek are this bad? No, I, I don't think I they're don't. that. No, I I mean I think they have good track records. Campbell is a, still a career nine. I don't know what it is now. It was nine eighteen or nine seventeen when I wrote the piece? But it's going to be right in that range. And Mrazek was a career nine ten when I wrote the piece. And you know, Mrazek is an up and down goalie. I know that more than Mrazek might be like career eight nine nine after the past like <laughs> week since you wrote it. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like I mean, he's I, a solid goalie. He yeah, is. No, I mean, I I was the one who seven eight years ago, seven years ago now when he was first coming up through the Red Wing system that was like he's really good and he has had moments in his career when he was excellent. He was excellent that first year or two in Detroit when he had a nine twenty the one season and. People don't really remember this besides Red Wings fans, but he was really close to goalieing Tampa the year they went to the cup mm-hmm. final against the Blackhawks. That game yep. went, that, that series went to seven games. He had two shutouts and I think they lost game seven, like one, nothing. It might've been an empty netter in there too, but 
he was phenomenal that series, and he was really good those first couple years. Then he had a really bad year. Then he goes to Carolina and analytically was very solid there, and he took him to an Eastern Finals. Like, he's a fine 1B in the NHL. The problem is goalies are... Fickle. Fickle, you know? The, the tough thing is, too, is... And the Mrazic signing made all sense to me. He was one of the goalies I was happily, like, I would be in on him. And it made sense because the Leafs hired Carolina's defense coach. It was a similar system in place. Mrazic's been a solid goalie throughout his career. The kind of guy that you could easily be like, take a seat, Jack Campbell's actually running with it. Or you could be like, platoon with it, slash maybe run with it for a little bit. And to be honest, there was a part of me when this Campbell injury came out where I was like, good, like now Morazic gets a true chance to run with it. I would give him that chance to see if he can. What's making it tough, one, he obviously completely, I I have no nice words that I'm thinking about that Arizona game, so I'm just not going to say them, but it was bad. You know, it was really like, it was it was actually beyond upsetting it was like actively funny to watch it eventually like it was like it was funny it was like okay this is hilarious but like i would i would love nothing more than to see him be the goalie that he's been throughout his career and just settle things down a little bit and he has that chance in front of him what makes it tough is we're not a month away from the trade deadline anymore yeah right you get two weeks like he has a week to make you feel better about it not great right and you know the one of the things we talked about before we started recording today and it's definitely an issue i've had as i've looked at a bunch of the games and this is a tough one to say coming off the arizona game because the arizona game was squarely on mrazic like i thought i mean there's nothing to think mrazic was shit that game like they're like like there's nothing to say but in many of the other games i've just looked at a team that is not making their goalie's life easy. And I I see the shots against, and I see the scoring chance differential, but I'm often just looking at goals where I'm like, not like, that's not something I would expect him to save. And I know people will sit there and say like, you're an NHL goalie. You have to make saves. You have to make big saves once in a while. You have to stop that two on one. You have to stop like a deflection is not a free goal, blah, blah, blah. But I remember having the same conversations with Freddie last year where you know, it wasn't going well for him. A lot of these deflection goals and people would be like, deflection goals can't be a free goal. And suddenly he goes to a team that like, I don't know, clears the net and he's having a great year. Like he's legitimately having like one of the best seasons of any goalie this year. And I think their team defense plays a huge part in it. The game that I will just die on the hill of, which we talked about a little bit again before recording is that Columbus game. They they just they come out. They have, you know, the first few shifts of that period were shaky, including giving Gustav Nyquist a two-on-one to start the game. But then after that, like, they were amazing. Like, that was an amazing first period for the Leafs. And they were up 3 nothing. And the rest of that game should have been coasting. Like, I would have went into the room and said, we're going to lock this shit down. Like, everyone sees what's happening with our goalies. I wouldn't have said that to the team, but that would have been implied. But we need to make their life easy. We need to start getting some good vibes back in in that. And instead, they came out in the second period, and they were awful. Like, they were genuinely awful. They looked completely disengaged. They looked like they thought it was point night. Like, let's come out, and let's run up the score. And Columbus pushed back, and they tied the game. And that was on the team. 
And there's just been too much of that. Like they're not, I would rather them just low event hockey, the whole thing up and say, honestly, like we're not going to try to like score four or five. They didn't get that opportunity in the Arizona game. Cause that's how bad Mrazic was. But in many of the other games they've come out and I've just looked and said, they're bleeding chances. They're just making blatant mistakes. They're just doing a terrible job in front of their net. So I think I definitely agree with you about the stuff in front of the net. That's been a problem all year long. They they don't have Chris Pronger to just plow a, a easy you know lane in in front of the net and get everybody out of the way. But you know my question that's kind of interesting from an analytical standpoint is the Leafs are are when you look at scoring chances against high danger chances against they're not terrible, but they are set, uh, third worst in both. Uh, scoring chance save percentage and high danger save percentage. So either the goalies are just really, really bad on high danger chances or scoring chances, or there is a little bit of a gap here in an analytics blind spot, as you might call it, that the scoring chances and high danger chances they're giving up are actually a little bit higher quality than, you know, the expected goals and, and all of those other models that we have rate them. Right, that so many of them are ending up in the back of the net despite not giving up that many to begin with. That actually they're just you know a lot higher percentage chances than the computers think they are. Possibility. I'm not exactly sure there. To me, it's a gap. Like that. That's what I would fight for. I I see quite a few two on ones that are like cross ice one timers. <laughs> I see guys in the slot untouched being able to make plays on the puck or with the puck. You know, I I watch a ton of hockey. Like, I watch a ton of... Like, I don't just watch the Leafs in a vacuum. I look at a lot of the chances and say if this was happening against most other teams, short of, like, the Andre Vasilevsky, Igor Shosturkin, like, lights-out saves that, we're, that we see on the highlight reels once every week or two, I think a lot of goalies give up what they're what the Leafs give up, I think part of it was probably hidden a little bit earlier in the season because Jack Campbell was unreal. Like Jack Campbell like blacked out for like all of November and had a great month. So it probably, they probably got a little loose and they got away with some things that they might not otherwise. I think part of that's catching up to them a little bit. But again, like I don't see any sort of like concerted effort from the team to be like, let's buckle down defensively. And people will say, why? They score. But like you can't just outscore your problems in the playoffs. That's my issue. So to go about fixing this, are you looking at a goalie or a defenseman then? I don't think there's any viable options in that. I I'm not like in love with Flurry. I don't I don't love Flurry. Too high a price. Cap hits high, does he even want to come here? Not to mention, people that remember more than just like the last calendar year remember the many multitudes of Marc-Andre Fleury's career. Like, of all the things you can say about him, like, consistently great goalie is not one of them. No. He, and and what a weird career, right? Like, he won, or career, like, he won the Vesna last year. Like, what? <laughs> and it's like, After getting run out of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I mean, just watch that 2012 series against Philly. Like, unquestionably Awful. one of the worst goaltending series of all time. That was Tristan Jari-esque, how bad yeah. he was in that. And But then, like, at the same time, like, he was pretty good when they won the Cup. 
he didn't he wasn't the guy when they won their other two cups but he did come in in one of them and yeah. actually gave them some great games to help them get there like he has had some moments like he was good when vegas went to the cup right but what a, but what a weird career that guy's had but are we gonna give up a first round pick and seven million cap hit for a guy who's had some moments like no no <laughs> not in I, my mind <laughs> the the tough thing is on defense and you know we were kind of talking about it a little bit like I don't see anyone where I'm like, yes, like this is the guy. Like part of me, and this is probably super dumb and super naive, like little kitty land I'm living in, is uh, I just, I want to see Muzzin return. Like Muzzin return and coming back to any sort of semblance of Muzzin form is better than most of the defensemen available on the market today. But will he actually come back to form is a hell of a gamble like, like Dubis is betting it all at that point. Like, he, like this is these are the decisions that get you fired. So my take I've been stewing on is like when we look at the eight defensemen possibilities, is Muzzin one of the best six? The one who's been this season, not talking about last year. No, Jake not Muzzin this last season. year was an awesome player, but this season, this season, shit. I don't think he he's one of the six guys that I would no. put in my playoff lineup. I, I I think he would because I think you would trust. I yeah, think he would have to then presence the whole thing. He'd have to return and then play his way off the team. Like it, it wouldn't be like he has to come back in and earn his way on. He would come back in and still have to earn his way off. He's earned that in this league, I would say. But like last year's Muzzin, for example, and last few years Muzzin, I still think is better than most of the D men available on the market. He's best better than most of the D men in the league. Yeah, like he's. So part of me is, and again, this is like naive kitty land. Like I'm sitting here going, I would do everything in my power to get him ready. I understand what people are saying about the cap space, the LTIR, and part of, and this is multi multi-million dollar bet by by dubas because the leafs have fully been transparent that they want muzzin back in the regular season before the playoffs i don't think he's sitting there saying and he's been very obvious and and people say oh is that a smoke screen is that his strategy i have not seen dubas be disingenuous at any point i think he's been a fairly forthright and upcoming interview. I didn't love his interviews when he got hired by the Leafs, but I've actually find him I've actually found him to be quite enjoyable listen. I find like, you know, his most recent one, like I I was nodding along for most of it. Like he has a good level head. I think he's an articulate guy. I don't think that he's come out in his career and, you know, it doesn't happen until it happens, but generally speaking, I haven't sat there and been like this guy's lying to us. I think they want him back because I think they recognize that. They're going, it's more valuable if we get Muzzin back into form than most other things we can do. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... If you're planning on Muzzin playing a real role in the playoffs, you can't Kucherov off him. Like, no. You just can't. <laughs> you cannot not play him with the way he's played this season, have him come off two concussions, hasn't played in two months, and then just drop him in and be like, okay, you're going to play 22 minutes, all the penalty-killing time against... Jonathan Huberto like no you can't do that that would be insane so if you're gonna put him on LTIR you are basically to me conceding he's not a factor and I don't think that's what they want to do no and you know what the worst part is too with him is like okay so even if he comes back and and he rounds into form already two big ifs 
he's been hurt in both of the last two playoffs. Like last year against Montreal was a non-contact injury. Like it was stunning. Like he, like, like you're like you're betting on so much with him. It's like, can you come back and like rediscover your game? And then after you do that, can you also actually stay healthy for us? That like, and I think that's why they want a D man because they're like, this is a bit of an absurd bet at this point. That's my guess. Yeah, the the problem for me is just the defenseman names out there. I don't know how many of these move the needle. So, so many of them are a lot of guys you already have. Like yeah. Justin Braun, for example. Like He just got Ilya Labushkin. It's like the same thing. Yeah, no, there's no point there. It would have to be, you know, obviously Hampus Lindholm would be legitimately really good. He is a legitimately really good defenseman. Like He would cost a ton. Like arm and a leg maybe your firstborn child. But I don't know if the Leafs can can do it. And then you kind of get that secondary tier. And part of me says, and this was really just reading off of uh, Frank Saravalli's trade board uh, for the daily faceoff, but, and he had Mark Giordano down, and it was just a second. What was really the asking price. And I was sitting there like, I don't know, would you trade a second for Mark Giordano? And then... And I've been trying to watch Seattle games, which has been really tough to do because they suck. And it's been really hard to get a feel for like how good Mark Giordano still is because that team is terrible. Like I was looking at who they put out even against the Leafs, like in critical situations. And there was another game I was watching where they had an empty net and like who they put out there. I was like, this is pathetic. Like that, like this is, these are the top six you guys can put out there. But part of me just says, if you, if you had him as an example, and your defense is, you go back to the Riley-Brody pairing and you put Giordano with Hole. And Hole, to me, has proven when he's not the main guy on a D pairing that he's effective. Like, if you say carry Travis Dermott, he can't do it. But if you say pair beside this other good defenseman, I think he can do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Hole, relative to the narrative, at least. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is just, like, look how much freer he's looked away from Jake Muzzin. Yeah, because Muzzin had a really bad season. I think when when everyone was ripping on Hole, I think it was unfair to the level of how bad Muzzin was playing. Like, Muzzin was really bad this year. So let's just say that. Okay, so you have the Riley-Brody pairing paired back together, and then you have Giordano with Hole, and now you can basically do whatever you want with Muzzin on the third pairing. And if Muzzin rounds into form, sick. Then you move him back up. So you pair him with Muzzin with Sandine on the third pair? could be Lilligren, who they've been good together. It could, like, yeah, basically, it, all I'm saying is, like, if a guy like Giordano, who's, like, good but not great, but at least remotely steadying for just a second-round pick, I can see how you can work around those options and maybe stabilize the defense a little bit better. Yeah, I, I Giordano isn't giving you as much offensively as he once did when you look at the analytical numbers. And that's but... fine still pretty solid defensively and he still plays a lot of penalty killing time which is a pretty notable asset plus i mean this has been floated by a few people but there is the chance that if you acquired him or if you don't acquire him anyway but like he's ring chasing he's mm-hmm. old and he's from toronto so there's not an insignificant chance he could spezza this thing uh yeah. and hang around yeah and i don't know all that to me for a second round pick it, like that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather try that than 
you know, Carson Susie or any of these guys that are just a lot of the same thing. Whereas Giordano, at least, I think is a swing at a needle mover. And and I have many will know this, listeners will know this. I have a thing about vets in the playoffs. Like I that were like once really good, but now they're like good. I think that they're capable of like dialing back and like like dialing back the clock and having like a game. Like, you know, they can't do it night in, night out anymore. That's why they're not stars. Like Giordano's not a star anymore. But he's still a good player. And now my thing, I think, and, you know, you don't trade a guy for this kind of bet. You don't trade for a guy for this kind of bet. I think it's like a a gravy kind of point. But I think you could sit there and think that, like, Giordano's going to have a night or two where he blacks out. Like, he like he turns back the clock. And and he, because I don't think he's done. Like, I don't think he, we've seen it with Spezza. It's like Spezza doesn't do it night in, night out. But Spezza's had a few games in the playoffs for this team where you're like, holy shit like he is absolutely in one i vets can do it we like you see it all the time from vets that like they can't do it the regular season's a grind they can't do it night in night out they're not superstars anymore but they're capable of once in a while just having a game so he 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 did not interest me until i was reading that trade board and i was like geez for a second round pick the thing with him i think is you would have to either get seattle to retain or launder it through arizona or yeah you would whatever franchise the i will say one thing on this topic an optimist take for muzzin in the playoffs remember how bad victor hedman was at the end of last regular season like that last month or two yeah when everyone went from oh he's locked in the norris to suddenly adam fox winning it and then hedman was pretty darn good in the playoffs he just suddenly (laughs) snapped back to form despite being supposedly bad and injured at the end of the season so that that's your optimist take obviously um you know muzzin's a few years older and has had a lot more miles and all that stuff but maybe it's possible for a guy to just find a a new gear in the playoffs so on that note can i say something about that because i've been wanting to get this off my chest if nylander has another sick playoff i won't say a word about him in the regular season anymore like i just won't like does he look bad right now yeah does he look disengaged yeah is he kind of floating around yeah anyone who's arguing there's nothing to say go go watch the game that like that's just the fact like he he has not looked good you know you don't have to like shy away from it it's okay to say it like he has not looked good but if he turns it on in the playoffs the way he did last season I won't say a word about it. It's like, oh, like Nylander's in like another January dip. Be like, who gives a shit? Play play off Nylander. Like he'll just turn it on. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. But we're going to find out this year. Because that'll be two years in a row where it's like... And he wasn't like bad last year or anything. So I'm not saying that. But like he found another level in the playoffs. And if he can do that again, then I'll sit there and be like, okay. He just turns it on for the playoffs. Like when he's... When it's time. When like the chips are on the table. He's a big game player. That's fine by me. Like, I don't care. He's he's Batman, and the bat signal comes on when yeah. Marner and Matthews are struggling. <laughs> yeah, it, that's fine. Like, he's going to sit there and be like, in the playoffs, like, I'm going to dial in. Like, I'm going to take it up a level and lock in. Be like, fine. He's signed long term. He's getting his money regardless. He knows that. He, you know, it's not like he's done nothing this year. He's been productive. But if he's able to find another level, like he's earned his money this year, without question. No one can argue that. But if he, but he's capable of more. I think that's what pisses people off. 
But if he steps up to that more in the playoffs, I I think people just need to like admit it, like just accept what regular season Nylander looks like and you eat it. And then you wait around for playoff time. Like he can't do this shit in the playoffs for them. But I'm more than happy to sit here and be like, I'll wait for playoffs and see how he does. If I think he's shown us that he can, let's see if he does it again. I, I actually want to lend optimist and say, yes, I think he will. Always good to be optimistic. <laughs> You're not as optimistic? No, I, I I don't really know. I mean, we'll see. I, I don't buy into a ton of narratives in general, but it's possible. I mean, guys can just turn it on. You never really know. Uh, playoffs are a small sample size, but there is a, a different element to it. So we'll just see, I guess. The, tough, the toughest thing with the playoffs... I think that a lot of people even objectively have a difficult time reconciling is it is a completely different game. It truly is like it, it is not the same as regular season hockey. Like they borderline look like two different sports. So it's hard for me to sit there and say like, you have to evaluate these on the same scale. I don't like, I don't see teams don't back check as hard. Teams don't like the games aren't as tight. Yeah, the games aren't as physical. The reality is also, you know, the Leafs have just—they've been in a stretch right now where they've been playing terrible teams. You don't—you don't get a break in the playoffs. It's like one amazing team after the next, after the next. Like, the, like there's no, there's no gimmies, which the Leafs know better than anyone the past two years. And that, like the the mental grind, the tightness of the hockey. You know, whether people like it or not, the way the game is called, like everything is way different. So it's, I think that there has always been some level of truth to guys that are really good in the regular season versus guys that are really good in the playoffs, because part of it is just stylistic to the the way the game is played. I do think that guys can develop the ability to fit that style, though, because yes. there's definitely players in history who were not good in the playoffs and who were not winners until suddenly they were. Yeah. I think and I think one of the more unfortunate things that happens people sit there and go, "Oh, look, like he wasn't a winner and now he was." But like in many of those cases the player would be the first to tell you like their game grew. Like you can't compare like you know, a player in the playoffs 5 years ago who wasn't successful to a player five years in the future that in many, in most cases, in most cases, like Alex Ovechkin was like always crazy productive in the playoffs. Like you couldn't just sit there and be like, well, like now he scored. It's like, he always scored. Like he was always sick in the playoffs. I think he had like 40 points in his first, like 28 playoff games or something like that was not at all the case. I don't think that like Matthews and, and Marner over the past five years, generally speaking, had like playoff hockey figured out like i think it was a bit of a different game for them i think there has been a learning curve i do think they're going to figure it out it's absurd to me to think that matthews won't eventually just absolutely go nuts in a playoff series but like there has been a learning curve here like it hasn't been nothing like it's not just like they're the same players and like shit just hasn't gone their way yeah i think that's that's pretty fair in general um one thing i wanted to bring up this is a name that i saw last night starting to be circulated what would you give up to get james reimer back in toronto oh my god 
Oh my! Are we doing this? He's been he's been kind of good. I know. For San Jose. I know he has been good. He has another year at two point three million. Very affordable. Do you think they would take Mrazek back? I think you'd have to really sweeten the deal to get them to take Mrazek. I I think if you're doing it, I think you would. I would. I mean, you could argue, like, who cares if you have Mrazek on the lineup? Like, you'll trade him in the summer. I think it would be weird to have the three goalies around especially down the stretch here. I don't think they could afford it. I mean, they could put someone on waivers. It would be a weird one. Um, I would really want, I would want Mrazek going back the other way to facilitate that, even if you make it a three-way trade or something. But I wouldn't give up much more than like a, probably like a third round pick. If it was like straight up for Reimer, maybe a second. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. One thing I don't think we've mentioned on the goalies that I think is pretty notable, and this is something Kyle Dubas knows but we don't know, is what's the story with the Campbell injury? Yeah. Because the first thing I saw or thought when I saw the news (laughs) was, you know when baseball relievers are really bad for a period of time and then they magically have a 10-day injury and then as soon as the 10 days are up, they're back? Yeah, like is he in Hawaii right now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fair I, that point. That was my initial thought, is the sort of, like, is this a, an injury, you know, with air quotes, to give him a little bit of time to refresh? Or is this something real? Because if it's something real, and we're not sure when he's going to be back, and we're not sure how serious it is, and, you know, the training staff doesn't know, in that case, I think you have to trade for a goalie. Like, if Jack Campbell is going to be out for a period of time and then might not really ever be healthy until the summer. Like if that's the case, then I think you have to make a move just to have a body that could like actually play hockey. But if this is, we just put Tyler Chatwood on the IL to like learn how to throw strikes again, then probably not the same level of urgency. Yeah. I honestly, it's a good question. Like, did someone just say like, here are some plane tickets, like get out of this country and like go reset your game a little bit. I like I wouldn't put it past. Like we had uh we had Bruce Brujo on before and he basically floated that idea that they had with Timu Solani coming back from the Olympics. They were like, We want to basically just send him to Hawaii for a week, we'll make up an injury and off he goes. I think it's a little bit harder to do in Toronto. They've been very hush on the injury, so that you know, definitely if he comes back with a tan, we'll know something was up. <laughs> uh, it, like I could see it. I could see them sitting there being like, yeah, get the hell out. Go figure it out for a little bit and then come back and, and be a goalie again for us. I mean, at at minimum, that even if he is injured, he should still be doing that. So it, it's it's a fair point. They, I, I don't know if you remember, a few years ago, right after Riley got torched by McDavid for that like look back goal where he like walked him and... <laughs> It was sick. And then everyone was ripping on Riley, which was dumb because, like, wow, you got gassed by McDavid. Like, like, what a bum. Yeah, welcome to the league. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. But, and then they put him on, like, they were like, he has a foot injury, like, very shortly after that. Like, he's been playing through it for a little bit. I'm not saying he went on vacation or anything. I don't know. But after it happened, like, he was struggling. People were giving it to him that he very shortly after went on i like part of me just says like you know and these are we talked about the bet on defense with muzzin and part of it's the bet uh at 
goalie that you're like, both of these guys have been like solid goalies in the league. Can you bet on one of them just at least being respectable? Which is again, multi, multi million dollar bet. And then all the while you're sitting there going, our second line is really not good. And we're paying it like $20 million plus when you factor in Kerfoot. Like three really different but upsetting situations nonetheless. And yet they're top five in points percentage. Yeah. And then we come back and it's like, you'd think they were like terrible. You know, I, the one thing I'll say about that though, is I know that they've, uh, they didn't close out the game against Arizona, of course, but like they did come back and get a point and they did win the Seattle game and they did win the Columbus game. But like, to be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have minded if, if Keith came out and just actually said like, we need to play better. Like, and you know, I think, I think he's come out and largely tried to protect his team against how poor the goaltending has played. You know, like he's come out a number of times after the game and kind of like thrown out like almost the company line of like, you know, I didn't mind the way we played at all. Like, you know, he's basically said a number of times and implied a number of times, like if we got a save, we would have been fine. And I get that. And he's not wrong. But if I was him, like, you can't do shit with goalies. You can't. Like, no, like, head coaches don't know about goalies unless they were actually a goalie. And he wasn't a goalie. He doesn't know anything about goalies. None of us do. Nope. So, like, the only thing I would try to control is, like, you know, like I said, that Columbus game, like, I would have came out and been like, we could have played better. Like, we could have been, we could have had a better second period. Like, I haven't, I wouldn't mind if he came out and approached it from that lens a little bit further. I think about some of the other coaches in the league. I don't think they, I think, you know, a guy like Daryl Sutter would definitely understand that the goalie's not making a save, but I also think he'd come come out there and understand, like, we're not playing super tight in front of our goalie. I wouldn't mind him taking that approach to it a little bit more. So I do think one thing that's important to remember is that when the goalie isn't making many saves, especially on high-danger shots, it does program our brain to remember those Yeah specific breakdowns a lot more than it does if they're not goals and because just about every goal scored outside of a slap shot with no screen right on and the goalie lets it in like every other goal has some defensive breakdown everywhere uh, on it right at some point there's something that goes wrong and so when the goalie is giving up a lot of goals I think to some extent it can trick our eyes into thinking it's worse than it is because those images of the goals going in are seared into our brains in a way that, oh, Jack Campbell just made the save, so now we just kind of forgot that that two-on-one happened. But, you know, I agree with you. There are some things they can tighten up, and we didn't really mention this uh, so far, but they did tighten up after, uh, you know, the goalie change last night against the Coyotes. The way that the Leafs were throwing their body out. I mean, that, that shot block by Kerfoot in the third period. I mean, you would have thought that was like Stanley Cup Finals game three, and it's we're trying to beat the Coyotes. <laughs> yeah, and... In March. And, and that's that's what I... like. You know, the Arizona game, Mrazic gave them no chance. We said, we you know, the horse is dead. We get it. But like, yep. in many of those other comebacks or whatever situations, the Detroit one notwithstanding, the Detroit one was a disaster, obviously. But like Columbus, Seattle, a few of these other games, I haven't sat there and been like, oh, like they were, you know, even the Montreal game, I wasn't sitting there like, oh, they were playing sick. And then like that other team just came down and scored. Like I was sitting there like they're playing like shit. 
or they're they're leaking oil and the other team's burying when they get them. Like it wasn't like a shocker. You know, the first shift of that Montreal game, they gave up a breakaway from their blue line. It's like that was Mrazic's first shot of the night, a B-way. Like, how is that real? How is that real at this point of the season? Like, that is October hockey. That is you have 18-year-olds in the lineup hockey. That's not NHL. Average age is 28. You've been in the league for a while. That's not how you start a game, right? You know, Columbus, Columbus completely tilted them in that second. Seattle picked it up. Like, like it wasn't like just the goaltending. Like, I just think that they can, I think they can focus in a little bit more and say, what can we do to make their life a little bit easier? And to your point, they did that a little bit because it was a 25 year old kid getting his first start, you know, first appearance in an NHL game, which was fair. It was good for them that they did, but like they need to do that with just because their other guys are NHLers doesn't mean they like they don't have feelings and stuff too. Like you can help them along the way. I get why he's putting Mrazic back in. I absolutely would put Mrazic back in. He's played in an outdoor game before. They need to get him going. Like they're not like they're not naive to this. I think people are just too cat like they need to get him going. They realize that. Like it's important. Like you have to give him chances, even if he's screwing it up right now. Yeah, I, I don't think you could start Shalgren for his first NHL start in an outdoor game. Like you have to go to Mrazic, but against our Buffalo Voodoo too that you're learning about. You can't just like be like, go play the Voodoo team outdoors. That like it's just not the way it works. But I guess is the plan then for Mrazic to start every game while Campbell is in the Bahamas or wherever <laughs> Uh, he is. I mean, like, our. Well, they have no back to backs. Honestly, I would try to ride him as hard as yeah. you can. I would, like, a rented mule if you can. What happens if he keeps spotting the opponent two goals a game? That's why I said if you can. Like, obviously, if he makes it, like, unbearable, then you have no choice. Like, he has to go. Like, that's just the yeah. reality. But, like,. I would, as long as he gives me an opportunity, like I would, I would have looked at him before the last game and said, like, here are the keys. Like, this is yours. Like, I'm running with you. And they probably did to some degree. You know, he mentioned that this was a great opportunity for Mrazic going into that game. And obviously, Mrazic gave him no choice. And so, in saying that now, I still think they want to give him that chance to be that guy. What did you think of Sheldon Keith after the game saying he wanted to pull Mrazic after the first two goals? Should he have done it then? And what was the purpose of saying that if he didn't do it? I almost felt like, and I maybe I have the wrong read on this, but I almost felt like it was almost protecting himself a little bit, you know, to be like, I'm not stupid. Like, I know it was bad, but like, I didn't want to do it because we had a kid that had never played in the league before on the bench who just got called up this morning. Like, I think that's what he was saying. Like, yeah, I wanted to do it. Like, I agree with you. Like, I'm not crazy. I wasn't naive to what was happening. Because there's no point of pointing that out otherwise. Like, it's almost, it is a little self preservation y to be like, I get it. Like, I saw what happened there. I just couldn't do it because I didn't want to put this kid in. But then he just gave me absolutely no choice. So I was like, shit, it's happening. That was how I read it. What'd you read it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was along that line. Plus, it was three minutes, five minutes into yeah. the game. I mean, it's really hard to pull the goalie right there and hand it over to a guy in that position. I just thought it was interesting that he brought it up because I think, or or said it out loud. I don't. I didn't see the context of how it actually came up, but 
to say it out loud from the coach, I felt thought was kind of notable, and I wasn't sure if that was, like you said, more of self-preservation or if it was actually a nod towards Morazic and being like, <laughs> I wanted to pull your ass sooner, but like <laughs> I couldn't. I, I, I don't know. It, it was just an interesting comment I found. So it was... It was ju- he was just asked on his decision to pull Morazic. That's it. Okay, so the kind of that's more him throwing it out there uh, than it is being prodded. So the original question was like about Morazic's tough night after getting a chance to take over the crease, and all he said was, "It is tough. I don't know what else to say. It is tough." And then I guess he got probed further about the decision, and that was when he started by saying, "To be honest, I wanted to do it after two. It was a tough decision to put the kid in. I was hoping we could find some level ground. So I feel like in that context, it's almost more of a, a wake-up call for Morazic yeah. than it is a self-preservation comment. Because there's no reason to bring it up on, you know, from a self-preservation standpoint unless you were being pressured of like, oh, why did you leave him in when we all saw the first two goals? Uh, you know, why yeah. wasn't the move made then? So Yeah, I think that was probably how he felt a little bit too, like, you know, people sitting there like, why did you wait so long? He's probably felt that a little bit. And then, you know, a little bit of like giving the gears to Morazic and a little bit of like, like I said, I see it. I'm not stupid with, you know, which I get like, that's fine. It, he gets a little bit more vocal as the season goes on. So it kind of is what it is. But we've been here for a little bit over an hour now. think we've run our time. Do you have anything to add before we wrap up? Um, the last thing I want to note while we're on the Mrazic topic is just, I've watched Mrazic a long time on a night-to-night basis, and all the people that are kind of like, oh, he's like not in the crease, or like he's way out of position and all this stuff, like, this is who Mrazic is. He's always been like this. And, yeah, and it's not a, him being way out of the net isn't like an indictment of him, it isn't how we tell he's a bad goalie, for example. Yeah. Like, you're right. Goalies can have unconventional methods, and you know Dominic Hasek skated out to the blue line to tackle oncoming <laughs> breakaway. Tim guys. Thomas like, has one of the best single save percentage seasons of all time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Like, so if it if you're getting results, it works for you. And Mrazek being out of the net a lot is not why he's bad. He's always been like yeah. that through his good times and his bad times. Yeah, that's like calling like a side armor bad because he's a side armor when he's been generally yeah. good. That, yeah, I've really paid no attention, but it is tough to watch. That's the thing. It's like, uh, it's when it's faltering, yeah, it's rough. It's like when you try to score five holes. Like, if it works, it looks sick, but if it doesn't, you look like an asshole. Like, the guy, like, the guy just saves <laughs> you. Like, that was stupid. Like, that was, that was an easy save. So, I get it. But, Alex, thanks for joining today. It was a pleasure to have you. I enjoyed it. If, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free, leave a comment, feedback, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, I guess we'll hopefully be back soon prior to the trade deadline. I'm sure we'll have some trade deadline stuff coming because uh, I can't imagine a world where the Leafs do absolutely nothing. Hard to see. Hard that. to see that. Everyone is looking at me. Time is running and we're down by three. Look inside yourself. What do you see? The pain is in your mind. No, nothing stops me. Everyone is looking at me. Heart is pounding and we're down by three. Look inside yourself, I know what I see Do you have the guts to do?